I'm Brett Samuels. On my Open Mic Marketing podcast, I have the pleasure of meeting some really inspirational guests. So, as a bonus series, I'll be exploring some of their backstories that may interest, enthuse, motivate or inspire you. Sometimes in life, where we start is more important than where we end. Our life's journey greatly shapes and influences our decisions and aspirations. Aspirations to maybe build a new business or just a better life or to work tirelessly in support of our fellow human beings. And of course, all of these desires do not need to be mutually exclusive. First up, we have Victoria Hansen. And if you've listened to episode one of the podcast, you'll know that following a successful career in executive coaching, Victoria founded Hampers for Heroes. In this episode, I find out more about Victoria's career and the forks in the road that led her to this new venture. Enjoy. Interestingly, one thing we have in common is we both went to Loughborough Uni. You studied psychology and sociology. Loughborough, traditionally, Mm. very sporty people go to Loughborough. So were you sporty? (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's exactly why I went. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I've been sporty since I was about 15, although I did have a go at uh, training for a marathon last year, but uh, that's that's in my distant past now as well. Couldn't do that. (laughs) No, it definitely wasn't the sports that attracted me to Loughborough. I knew I wanted to study sociology. Psychology was my minor. I thought I wanted to go into social work. And Loughborough had a great reputation at the time. I think it still does actually in the fields of sociology and psychology. I think some of the people who were lecturing me then, which is 25 years ago, are still there. It was my first choice university. I was very lucky, I think, to get in, (laughs) I'll say. My brother and I were both going to go there. I'm a twin. And he was going to study the same course as well, which is interesting. But he went through clearing and went to Derby, not too far away. And I went to Loughborough. Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic university, isn't it? It All on campus, everything there. Just far enough away that you didn't have to come back all the time, (laughs) but close enough that if you wanted to, you could come home. So after your degree you then mm-hmm. joined the grad scheme at John Lewis is that is that right? I really didn't know what I was going to do when I graduated as I said um, social work had interested me I was also interested in teaching to become a social worker you couldn't actually go on to that phase of training you had to be 25 and I graduated on my 21st birthday which is kind of funny so I was just looking for a grad scheme that would give me you know an entry into leadership management and, and I wanted it to be with somewhere that you know had a good reputation for that that took those those things seriously so I applied for loads of different schemes uh, Marks and Spencers, Asda, B&Q of all places, <laughs> loads of different places and actually I was going to join Asda and it's funny when you look back and think you know in terms of the roads that you do take and I think you talked about forks in the road Asda at the time was in a massive growth phase I can't remember the name of the chief exec but he was very well known and it was Leeds that I was going to move up to Leeds and, and work there And then I don't know how the John Lewis one came and I didn't know much about John Lewis because they didn't have a presence in the Midlands. But I went down to London for an interview and I walked around the store and I heard more about the organisation and the fact that it was kind of owned by the partners and they all had a share in it. And I just thought, wow, this is a really different business model. And I'll be really honest, I stayed in a hotel just off Oxford Street and I thought, this is razzle dazzle. (laughs) This is, (laughs) yeah, do you know what? This is the place to be. 
I got a letter through offering me the job. I was like, oh, God, I've got the Asda one. I don't know what to do. And the same day I had a phone call from John Lewis Oxford Street to say, oh, we've got the pay wrong. I was like, oh, God, that's not good news. It's like £2,000 more than we said. So that was the clincher. More more to spend on Oxford Street. I don't know. I I remember saying, remember the clearest day, I said, oh, I was going to take the job anyway. I thought, that's so naive. (laughs) It's so naive. It's just fantastic experience. I mean, a lot of friends and family thought I was completely crazy moving to London on my own at the age of 21. And, you know, I remember my best friend and brother came, <laughs> tried to help me find somewhere to live. And, and they were looking at me like, why do you want to do this? These houses are awful. These areas of London are awful. And I was just like rose-tinted glasses thinking, <laughs> this is the best, best thing I've ever known. Yeah, it was great. And how long were you in London for? So I was in London for... Seven years in total, I stayed at John Lewis. I was coming towards the end of the graduate scheme and I was having to apply to other stores. So you have to apply for the kind of the next rung up. And the kind of clearest opportunity in terms of size of store was Milton Keynes. And I didn't want to move out of London. But also it wasn't exciting anymore. I just wasn't loving retail, I'll be really honest. I was looking for something else. And a few of my friends had left as well. I think, you know, that's pretty um, standardised, isn't it? If you start a grad scheme, you're either going to stay for the long term or you decide after the initial two years to move on. So I moved on to a job in recruitment. Tough gig. Tough gig, yeah. I hated it. It's a very tough job, recruitment. So I think think you're either, you know, cut out for recruitment. Cut out for it. Or it's it's incredibly hard in later life now mm. and with and particularly ha- kind of having being self-employed and doing hampers mm. you you need to sell so so maybe yeah. it was kind yeah. of taught you some good skills or yeah it, it definitely did I mean I, actually I say I hated it I didn't hate the first 12 months I really enjoyed the first 12 months because I came into a new team and the MD was really supportive of me and you know I did well from a sales point of view you know very much on the kind of piggybacking other people's big projects but you know once I was in front of the client I loved it but it's that kind of discipline of having to cold call and build business I just hadn't got it in me I just yeah I mean hats off to people who who carve that out and and build their business that way but yeah just you have to have a pretty 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 thick skin don't you for the that role (laughs) yeah so then how did you kind of move from retail recruitment into the more business side of business coaching, business psychology? Yeah, after that, I just applied for loads of different roles again. I found myself with going back to retail, actually. So I had an offer with Tesco and an offer with Next. I looked at it and thought, mm, could be good, but I'm kind of going backwards. I did take one of those jobs and then saw an advert. I think it was in, you know, remember the days when uh, jobs were advertised in, was it the, the Sunday Times? I or do. the financially yeah so I saw an advert for Hay Group and I went through an assessment process for them and they were a really small privately owned organization that specialized in leadership and and it was amazing really because I've always been fascinated in why people do what they do why they behave in the way they do and the fact that we are all products of our environment whether or not that is our family environment or work environment and that our behaviours change over time. And, and that's exactly what Hay Group had been doing and were doing. And they worked with about 70% of the FTSE 100 at that time. Wow. I just could not believe the opportunity being presented. And, and I got the job and, oh God, I was just so overwhelmed to get the job. It was kind of doubling my pay, but it was also a career. I suddenly thought, I looked at it, I was like, wow, this is it. And it was just a fantastic organisation. I mean, the exposure it gave me and my 
early 20s, I was working on mergers and acquisitions. But I worked, for example, with BT in the early 2000s for 18 months. I can even remember some of the chief execs and the boards that I kind of sat in meetings with and worked with some really inspiring consultants who just really took the time with me and really wanted to help me develop and gave me opportunities. And it was a, you know, a really fast learning curve. But I looked at it and thought, yeah, this is a career for me. I I absolutely so stimulating, learning something every day, having to understand how business works, but also understand human behaviour at the same time and the dynamics of that. So, yeah, that's I guess that's when I landed on my career sweet spot crikey being in those environments with very very senior people did you did you ever kind of get imposter syndrome did you ever feel out of your depth or how, how did you handle that you didn't have time really <laughs> I was just learning I was like a sponge so every day I was kind of in that environment and I wouldn't be the one leading the meeting I would be there listening to it and then thinking about well how do we actually deliver on this I was just eager to be the one doing the work and having the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where I wanted to be. And I was constantly looking for the opportunity. It, it took a couple of years, actually, for me to have my first experience of being the face of it and doing those interviews and starting to coach people. And that was with um, a big project with Boots in, in Nottingham, where we pretty much camped out and lived there for about four weeks. So what was the, if, if you can, <clears throat> if it's not sensitive, mm. what was the, the mm. kind of objective of, of that project? Again, just organisational change. That's usually what the theme of it is in various different forms. When an organisation is going through change and it needs a certain style of leadership and the culture needs to shift, it's around identifying the individuals who are going to be able to handle that change and to shift, who have the agility to do that. I read on your mm. LinkedIn profile that you, you know, you're, you're well versed in lots of kind of psychometric testing, and you obviously kind of yeah. interview people. But how can you can you tell the, the type of people that that are kind of adverse to change or, or open to it? So there's there's two levels. So one is what's happening here in terms of the culture of the organisation. What's happening here in terms of resistance? I think I can read that and I can see it because I work with organisations and I. You know, I might do 80 interviews, for example, a year for for one main client and you really get to understand what's happening at a cultural level for that organisation. What I would say on an individual level is, and what I've learned, is never, ever make assumptions about people and their behaviour. Try wherever you can to avoid any bias and unconscious bias lives in all of us day in, day out. I remember thinking 20 years ago when I started this, oh, you know, if you've got an instinct about people, then, you know, follow that instinct and that will help you. No, don't do that, because that could lead to ill judgment and assumptions. So actually the approach that I still use now is in-depth interviews to really get beneath the skin of individuals, to help them understand their behaviour, to help them really reflect, and also to help the organisation identify, quite often, identify hidden talent. When we've made assumptions about people based upon, you know, gender, ethnicity, the way they look, their build, to be able to challenge that back and say, but have you seen this? Have you spotted that? And even now, you know, 2021, I see organisations constantly making quick decisions and assumptions about people. And there's been a brilliant one recently, and obviously no names named, but an individual I met a couple of years ago, she told me her story. We spent several hours together. We actually stayed in touch because she was going through a very difficult time. And... She resigned from an organisation. She just couldn't get there. She was being pushed back constantly, I think, because 
they were making unfortunately assumptions about her capability based upon surface level things and now she's just secured a global head of in her area of expertise and I couldn't be more thrilled to her it's, it's just a brilliant story. In terms of I suppose both sides of that coin so what would be mm. your advice for companies around mm. making kind of better decisions and, and the flip side of that what would you what advice would you give for individuals who want their companies to make kind of positive decisions about them? Well, the biggest thing that organisations need to do is to challenge their own assumptions, constantly challenge their thinking and not be afraid to admit when you've made mistakes or you've made judgments too quickly. And that's really important when it comes to hiring people. It's really important when it comes to moving people around. And having that honesty and that bravery will be the thing that helps you be more inclusive but until you can have those honest conversations and be able to admit that actually in the past we've made mistakes or even now perhaps we are making the easy decision because we don't want to have the difficult conversation about moving somebody on it comes down to that really honesty bravery challenging assumptions that's at an organizational level and i would say at an individual level just taking time to reflect We're all so busy and i am <laughs> i'm really guilty of this as well But taking time to reflect, thinking about what you really, really want, thinking about what's important to you. We talk a great deal, don't we, at the moment about finding your purpose. And I think, you know, the millennials as a kind of generation are just much better at that. That's just something that they want to commit their life to making positive change generally. I see that as a theme. I think, you know, once you've got a mortgage and children and you feel committed, you you can end up just making decisions based upon fear quite often rather than really thinking about what it is that you do want. I think that's really good advice. Just on that, on the kind of fear side, Victoria, what Mm. what are the things that keep you up at night? Mm, Lots of things. (laughs) (laughs) So at the moment, you know, as I said, I've got four children. So at the moment, I guess my kind of key concern is my eldest. He's going through GCSEs. He's got his mocks this week. I'm worried about his well-being and his mental health. So that keeps me awake, definitely, at night. I do think a lot about sustaining my own business as well. But I think I have forced myself into a period of reflection now about thinking about actually what really matters. You know, in Hampers for Heroes, I've been volunteering doing that for 12 months. But I have to say, it's given me so much joy. And I think if I can find things that give me joy and give me energy everything else is easy it's always a difficult one isn't it how you balance that joy Mm. with with paying the mortgage I suppose and and if you can if you can do both you're definitely onto a good thing but how have you or how will you get the balance on that well I set myself a bit of a target last year of building my network because I tended to get into this trap of just doing the same work over and over again and being a bit stuck And I've always enjoyed my work, but I thought nothing's changing here. So I I said, right, well, let's see what you can do to build your network within the West Midlands. And (laughs) I didn't really intend to do that, but that's precisely what I've done with Hampers for Heroes. So whilst it's about a group of volunteers, I also have built relationships with uh, local organisations. I've got some coaching relationships with people who work literally around the corner. I've been doing some work supporting the board through some change for a local organisation as well. And my biggest corporate client, I'm now working with their regional board within the West Midlands. And also, I've got to know the likes of Andy Street. I've been on podcasts with him. So if you like, that's a foundation for doing more work locally, for broadening my network in the region, and actually doing more work that's independent, that's not being fed to me. 
So if you took the money out, would you still do the, the kind of business coaching side? Have you still got the passion for that? Or would you purely do Hampers for Heroes? I suppose with the Hampers for Heroes, it is enabling me to coach and support people. So there have been various people who volunteered. I think of Emily. I think you met Emily right at the beginning. And she'd left one role. She had then signed up um, to have a contract with a new organisation. And then in, in the first lockdown, they just cancelled the contract overnight. So she was unemployed. So what that enabled both of us to do is she came on board and volunteered and supported us with our social media campaigning. But I also took a real keen interest in Emily. And when she was doubting herself, coached her, I suppose, through it. I wasn't doing it deliberately. But she's now got a great job that she's loving with a local organisation that is pretty terrific. Actually, we're a community interest company. And I really do want to make sure that we're providing opportunities through volunteering for people to extend their experience and add to their CV. We just put a new ad out recently and someone's come on board. She's really, really talented as a copywriter an author, an illustrator, but she'd like to go into social media and she sees she could come volunteer for us for six months, then that could be the segue. So Hampers of Heroes does offer me the opportunity to do both, but it's not paying me, obviously, yet. That's the dream, right? That's the dream. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, it, I think that's a really interesting point because employers now, I think they always have done really, but but certainly more now with, with the volume of people applying for roles I think they're they're looking for things aren't they beyond grades at university and and things like that so I think it sounds like a really good opportunity to broaden people's skill sets and experience Mm. new things and 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 kind of help them get a bit of a foot up as as well I think that's that's really great so just going back a little bit you mentioned you know when you were first doing the consultancy role that that you'd met some good consultants who'd helped you who've been the most influential people through your working career there's one lady in particular her name is jennifer davalio she you know i'm not don't know whether or not she'd ever get to listen to this but i could share it with her so she was the project director on the project i was talking to you about earlier with bt she's the one that gave me opportunity so what was very young really to be going and sitting in rooms with chief execs and, um, and and boards but she gave me the opportunity to do that she also one of the real key things that I remember happening it was very high pressured and I was responsible for making sure we got the reports to the right standard and they were turned around and they're quality assured and there were certain people on the team who just always missed deadlines there were some examples of just, you know, not treating me very well, seeing me as pretty junior and saying, well, I'll get to it when I get to it. And there's some short, unnecessarily sharp emails. And Jenny actually stood in and said to one of those consultants, I understand you're under pressure, we're, but we're under, under deadline. The one thing that I ask you not to do is to take that pressure out on Victoria. Please don't do that. It's not acceptable. And I think in my working life, I've always tried to do that for other people. I really just don't like to walk past anything that might appear like bullying behaviour or marginalising or looking at people and trying to make them smaller. I just can't bear it. So when people stand up for me in those situations, it stays with me for life. I mean, when I talk about that, that's over 20 years ago. I have followed Jenny's career and another kind of case of serendipity as well. It was probably about Two years ago, I'd had a meeting cancelled and I was walking from the offices to Marlebone train station and I bumped into Jenny. <laughs> Just really weird. And then I took a business card because she was with somebody. I sent her an email several weeks later when I was sat in Edinburgh Airport at 7am feeling sorry for myself. 
And I just, I told her how inspiring she'd been and, you know, what an impact she'd had. And she came back and said, what a lovely email to get on my birthday. I'm sure. I, yeah, it, <laughs> I, I, I can imagine that was very, very nice to, to receive. And I, I think that kind of trust and loyalty is, is really important, isn't it, in a, mm. in a working environment? I suppose having someone in a senior role who had your back and mm. uh, kind of put a bit of an arm around you when things were, were tough must it's obviously stayed Absolutely. with you and I guess you you've run that yourself when you've you've had p- people in a similar position Absolutely. And, and it stays true now. So, you know, with volunteers who are working on Hampers for Heroes, I hope I've created that kind of environment. Well, I, I know there are examples where they'll come to me and say, look, it's not related to this, but can you give me a bit of advice? I'd always want to think that people could come to me if they're feeling stressed or feeling pressured. And I might not have an answer. I might be able to coach them through it. But more importantly, they'd know that I care. Just in terms of your career to date, and mm-hmm. uh, there's obviously a lot, a lot still to kind of do and achieve. But what's what's the one thing that you wish you'd known uh, when you began your career? One of the things I think I wish I'd known, and it still plays out in my coaching relationships with people, is it doesn't matter how hard you work, or how much you give, or how dedicated you are, or how many hours you do, if you aren't seen by the people who make decisions and have influence, then you're going to get stuck. And I see this time and time again with people who are incredibly talented in organisations, who are like well above where I'm talking about when I had that advice in my career, who are so outcome-focused and have such high standards, but they end up moving from project to project, being really valued, but not necessarily progressing in their career. And I think... The one piece of advice I think I wish I'd had is always think about that network, build those relationships. So do you think that's kind of a case of who, who you know rather than what you know or, or a balance, a bit, a bit of a it's balance? It's a balance of it. It's difficult because it's got to sit well with your values, hasn't it? So the reason I say that is, is an example of when I worked in John Lewis of working for a lady and she was responsible for whether or not I got promoted. And I remember the conversation so clearly where she said, you know, actually, Victoria, you are the best section manager we've ever had. You've got a brilliant relationship with the team. In terms of performance, that department's never done better. She said, but I can't promote you until you understand the importance of managing relationships upwards. I mean, it really stung at the time, Brett. I still look at it and think, oh, God, I'd like to go and have a chat with her now. But she said, for example, you could say to me, Miss Clark, you've lost lots of weight. (laughs) And of course, that kind of networking and that kind of relationship building was never going to sit with my values. But there is really an important lesson in there, which is get to know people, manage your stakeholder relationships, take an interest in them. Hopefully, that will be uh, mutually respected and it won't be in a void of someone just expecting you to tell them how wonderful they are. But it is really important. But sometimes that can be quite difficult depending on, how, you know, how you've been brought up and what your values are. Yeah. And I think, you know, as, as well, if it, the, the type of person that you are, if you're if you're kind of introverted, sometimes that comes that's quite hard, isn't it, to do if, if you're kind of extroverted yeah. and you're out there and you're being seen by everyone. And you sometimes it's the, the person who shouts the loudest gets the, the most attention, which isn't always right, is it? So what what advice mm. would you give? someone looking to climb the ladder a bit and 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 Mm. you know what what can they do beyond doing their job really well I think it's about building yourself a network of people that you trust that you've developed trust with and don't be afraid to ask for support so if you're struggling and you just can't see a way through be vulnerable 
but make sure that's with somebody that you do trust that you feel that they will really support you ask for that support be curious ask if you can shadow them on opportunities and come along to them on meetings you know I think it's important always just to be your authentic self and I think but we can be more vulnerable. We can say when we need support or when we're struggling with with things. And I really hope that in the business environment, particularly post-pandemic, that we all listen to each other and we do support each other more. I'm not naive enough to think that will happen in every environment. But I think if you open yourself up and you do ask, and I've seen this with Hampers for Heroes as well, if you ask for support and that's a worthy cause and it's meaningful and it's heartfelt, then usually you're never going to be short of people coming and, and supporting you and helping you. Yeah, and I guess that's there's a, a few levels there, aren't there? There's obviously asking for help and being open and vulnerable and to friends and family and those types of things. And then I, I suppose the flip business side of that is, I guess, either talking to your direct line management or, or people in the business, but but also mentoring as well. Where, where do you kind mm. of stand on, on mentoring and business mentorship? I think it's, there's some really interesting programs uh, around mentoring that I'm seeing in some of the bigger corporates around reverse mentoring. So it doesn't matter what level you are in an organisation, you're playing an important part in its success. And I think some of the really successful mentoring programmes in larger organisations is when new graduates or people who've been around for 20 years who know the bones of the organisation actually provide mentoring to the senior execs and that the senior execs are then open to that level of challenge. I think that could work really well. It boosts the confidence of that person who wouldn't necessarily be seen as a mentor, but it also really challenges assumptions and challenges the thinking of, of senior leaders. So I think that can work really th- well. Uh, so so I've, I've never heard of reverse mentoring. That sounds really, really interesting as a, as a kind mm. of topic. And I suppose it takes a certain type of organisation to be open to, to that and a certain type of kind of senior leader to, to be like of that. Of course. Do you think that will be something that will grow as a, as a concept? I'd like to think so. But as you say, it takes maturity from those people. I think if you were to look at some of the smaller fintechs or faster moving organisations where they've got flatter structures, that's just naturally part of their way of thinking. If you look at agile working, for example, it's about a flat structure. It's about quick decision making. It's about not getting stuck on things. And in that situation, everybody's voice has to have equal value. Otherwise, we end up getting stuck in a, oh, well, we've tried that before, but that's not working. So I think there are other ways of working and processes and project management formats that actually will start to push that through as well, rather than just a nice concept, I suppose, of valuing people equally. So just a couple of other questions, Victoria. Looking at your career, and I suppose it feels to me that throughout your career, there's always been a sense of wanting to help others. So, you know, whether that's kind of sociology and moving into social care or business mentoring or then hampers for heroes where's that come from quite deep rooted i suppose uh just a value set that says we're all as important as each other um that we should respect each other i have a bit of an adverse reaction to misuse of power and people feeling less than they are Uh, it's just a core belief i suppose that i have in me and i'm very alert to it in organizations and in relationships Um, So it's always been part of me and how I operate. And I think being able to fulfil that through Hampers for Heroes has been really rewarding for me and helped me to see actually that those values, yeah, they do play out. And when they play out, they can be really powerful. It feels like that's always been embedded with you. So you you were always destined to do 
work that had that helping element to it but absolutely so because of that has your life been different to what you'd imagined it be so when you look at being at school or arriving at Loughborough Mm. is it different or is it as you thought it would be I didn't really have an idea I'll be really honest I think I look back now and I, I kind of think about my son and my daughter actually trying to choose GCSEs and then A-levels and think about what they're going to do in their career I really didn't know I knew the helping aspect and the kind of I guess the kind of socialised power piece was a driver for me be that teaching be that social work I really didn't know how it was going to play out I think and if I look back and reflect now the fact that I've been self-employed for well 11 years in July actually um, and I managed to maintain a good income and we've got a nice lifestyle is amazing I think the the thing that I'm proudest of that I always dreamt of and it's been a more challenging thing I think I have to say is that I've got four children <laughs> two dogs a husband and we're all healthy and aside from anything else that's kind of that was almost my biggest dream yeah that's amazing and, and how you quite juggle all of those things is a is a mystery <laughs> to me Victoria so what advice are you giving your children because I, I guess as a parent and I, I'm mm-hmm. a parent myself you kind of want them to know what they want to do but but yeah. but then you didn't when you were that age so what, what are you what advice are you giving to them do you know I think I have good days and bad days on that <laughs> me, me too yeah I'm not always smashing it so on days when I'm feeling you know confident in myself and secure and I'm not worried about paying the bills I'll just say to them really do what makes you happy try and find what it is that really truly makes your heart sing and I know that's really difficult to do as a teenager because they're clearly going through an awful lot of change and particularly for this last year my son for example he wanted to do maths and further maths and physics and then we've gone through a pandemic he took some mocks he didn't do very well he's completely changed his direction and I've just said too much you know it doesn't really matter you don't need to get straight A's Uh, you might have thought that that's what you wanted to do but if you do something and you've at least got you know a couple of subjects at A level that really interested you then you're going to have energy and you're going to feel positive and you're going to spur yourself on whereas if you do stuff where it's all just about getting A grades and putting yourself under pressure that's tricky and I'm really guilty of that nothing is ever good enough I'm incredibly driven as I'm sure you can tell and I do drive myself slightly bananas on that stuff I want them to feel secure and to know that they're good enough they'll always be valued they'll always be heard they'll always be part of our family and from that they can just do what makes them happy it's really hard isn't it trying to find the the, the balance because I you know similar to you work incredibly hard and and hustle and battle (laughs) for everything and you know really driven but it it, it's not always the best way to be with things and, and and you get a lot of not a lot but you get some negatives from from that sort of behavior I think and 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 the toll Mm. it can take but of course Mm. sometimes to kind of get on in the world you you kind of have to be like that so I Mm -hmm. I always find it really difficult giving advice to to my kids around you want them to have a nice life and be happy and all of those kind of things but you you want them to be kind of savvy and street smart as as well it's a really really hard balance it is, and, and teenagers don't like to be told. And can you imagine yourself as a teenager having been locked in a home with your with your parents Horrendous. for 12 months and not escaping? Like, they're doing so well not just to, <laughs> to pack their bags and I don't know where they'd go, they'd go somewhere. <laughs> Victoria, thank you so much for, for your time today. I, I wish you every success. I hope you enjoyed the bonus episode. I'll be bringing you more inspirational stories soon. Until next time, I'm Brett Samuels. Thanks for listening.